Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drone World, the podcast by Copters. Today's episode brings together some of the most innovative companies from the security and defense industries to discuss some really exciting innovations within the space. So let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for the Defense Summit. My name's Sam Dennis. I am the Business Development Manager for Public Safety and Defense in Copters. So work with police, fire, search and rescue teams, and in the military sector as well. So we've got a bunch of great guests here today to run us through some of the most interesting developments in the defense and security world. So in no particular order, we've got Soren, who is the sales director at Lorenz. Really interesting bit of kit that he's going to run us through in a moment. We've got Matt, who is the MD of Brigantes, who work primarily in the defense world, with the Ministry of Defense, and provide a lot of on-demand drone equipment. And then we've got Dave, who is the CEO of Plank. And Plank is an autonomous takeoff and landing system. Again, very high demand, a lot of interest in the military world. So what we're looking to do today is to tie all these together, get an idea of what systems, what new solutions are being used in the defense, security, and public safety world. These are some examples of the most cutting edge bits of technology in the industry at the moment. So we're going to give each of the guys a chance to run through what they do, who they are, how what they're doing is revolutionizing the industry. And then we're going to tie it together, ask a bunch of questions. Not all of us here know a great deal about each other. So some of us are going to have questions for each other. And we want to give a nice wide overview of what this technology is and why it's so important. So without further ado, I think if we hand over to Soren first. Soren, thanks for joining us. And if you want to run us through who you are, what Lorenz Technology is, give us the rundown. Thank you very much, Sam. And a warm welcome also from here in Odense, central of Denmark. I'll go very fast in order to give the best impression of the overall view on our product and services here at Lawrence Technology in Denmark. Well, Lawrence Technology, based in Odense, here in the center of Denmark, the robotics cluster of Denmark, that has proven now to be among the six strongest clusters in the world for robotics technology, including drone tech. Now, Lawrence Technology is quite a new company. It was founded in March 2017, and at the moment right now, we are the fastest growing drone company in Denmark, working with solutions that are targeted towards several different segments all over the world. From the beginning, we've been working very closely together with a couple of large clients in order to make sure that the product we bring to market has relevance. Amongst these, I can mention Worldwide Security Provider, but also within logistics like DFDS, shipping company, with approximately 36,000 departures on European terminals every year, we have developed our product alongside with them without any exclusivity deals, but this is just to make sure that the product is relevant. We are basically a software producer, so we produce software and we deliver software as a service that is paid with license. But we come out, and that is what is very relevant for today, of the security segment. This was our first focus. And this is just to give you an impression of how do you work with a product that should end up gaining a stronghold in the market. Now, the first thing was the analysis towards the security field. It's not too much to say that this is not blue ocean areas. It is highly red ocean and highly competitive area. And this was stated also in recent and later reports from, amongst others, Frost and Sullivan back in 2019 which has been repeatedly referred to also during the last month. So what do you need to do when you have 
this kind of high competitive environment? Well, we actually came forward with the solution that you go for higher quality in your core business. That is, first of all, the way to put in distance between you and your closest competitors. And what we wanted to offer to these security companies on top was the ability to do added services. So not only quality and core services, but also added services with the drone solution. Now, the product that we brought to market is a combination between a cloud-based software platform called the Lawrence Hive and a small piece of hardware that we have patented. It's the Lawrence AI Link, a small supercomputer placed out on board the drone, making us able to communicate with the backend system, the Lawrence Hive. We can transfer pre-programmed routes to the drone. We can ship back the data from the drone by 4G connectivity with sub-second latency on the stream of video from the drone coming in to the operator and to the command central. And also able to provide APIs out for different systems if that is a demand from the client. So this is basically the system, a split in two product with a cloud platform and also with a supercomputer on board the drone. A supercomputer that is modem and computer at the same time. So you have your connectivity by 4G and you can do edge computing with this device, meaning that we are developing the product alongside the standard demands according to development of software up against GDPR rules because we can treat the data on board the drone before they are sent streamed by 4G back into the cloud solution. Step one was higher quality and basically the drone with this system acts as eye in the sky for the security guards out on patrol. It gives them a better overview. And if something happens out there that worries them, they are able to push in the share video function in the hive and they can share by simply pushing in the email address of the authorities that might be first responders from police or fire brigades. And they can share everything with them so they'll see where the drone flies and what the drone sees at exactly this moment with low latency, even though they do not even have the license for the system. So this provides also for safety for the guards on ground. But you can say the system is stable, it's out there in the market, it works, and it's easy to operate. This is one of the features. Now, the second step that we offered was the added services. When you're out there on perimeters doing security, why not also take on added services in the field of facility management? And we can do that with thermal and optic cameras right into the hive with this live feed as well. The sensors, the cameras are getting better as we speak. So you have all kinds of possibilities to open up services within facility management. Now, let's go just to have some use case from security. This is just from the National Railroads in Denmark. Now, a use case where they, on a sealed perimeter, had very large problems with the graffiti painters entering the area illegally. And we did a test. Now, they have approximately cost of 4.8 million British pounds a year in order to remove graffiti from these painters on these areas. Moved into the drone just for one weekend, put up signs, had two to three nightly flyovers on the hive with thermal cameras and the graffiti painters, they simply stayed out. They stayed away, and as soon as we actually put down the test and said, all right, it's over for now, after a certain amount of time, they returned to the site. But this is also to say that drones within security, of course, they can do the job out there. But what we call the deterrent factor is very important here to take into consideration, because this is also about people not knowing exactly 
how much can the drone see? What does it see? What will be recorded on video? So this actually made the illegal intruders stay out of the area and prove the business case because a system like this compared to the cost of trying to reestablish these wagons and actually brush off the graffiti, well, there's a huge difference in spendings there. So this just proves the value. Now, from security, we were brought into the port sector to do also security there, but added services. And I will close this introduction just to show what is happening out there right now and to prove that this system is actually out there in real life working. The port of Esberg in Denmark, they are basically one of the most tech advanced ports that we have here, and they are technology driven. They really want to be digital, like many other ports all around the world that we see right now, but these guys, they really do it. So when we look at what we did in the beginning, we did 98 flights during 2019. We expect to do 1,000 flights on this system alone in the year of 2000. And 21. And this is also just to show you that the task, they are simply growing. So we started off with quay inspection, where they used to have three men in a boat. Now we do that with drones who fly automatically alongside the pier and feed everything. And we are starting working with AI. So they do not get the video in the near future. They simply get pictures with coordinates on where there is something wrong that needs to be attended to. And this will end up directly at the person in charge of bringing this into order again. So this was basically the very fast introduction from launch technology. There's a huge future here. We are getting in on offset projects in contact with international military equipment suppliers as well. We are in close contact with police forces in several different European countries, and we have sold the first solutions also to the defense, not to combat action, but mostly to overviewing areas when they do their tests and rehearsals out there. We are out there, but we can also do security rounds where soldiers are actually living out in the field or on more stationary bases. So there's a huge potential in solutions like this. And the fact that you can do low latency streaming, that you have everything archived, simply proves an advantage. So thanks for that. So before we move on to the questions on that, Dave, from Plank. If we get you to run us through the Plank system in a similar format, give us 10 minutes of what the system is. I appreciate, especially with something like Plank, it, you could probably talk about it for 10 hours. But give us the overview and then we'll hammer you with some questions after. I'm sure Matt's probably got a few as well. Thanks, Sam. I won't even take the full 10 minutes. I'll give you a quick update on who Plank Aerosystems is. Yeah, so Plank Aerosystems, we're based on the West Coast of the U.S., and we really focus on embedded software for what we call best-in-class drones. So that kind of is any aircraft. And our specialty is operating from moving platforms, moving vehicles and vessels on land or at sea. So it's any aircraft, any vehicle, and really very dynamic environments. And we provide that as an autonomy engine that is embedded onto the drones themselves. And work that we've done with the U.S. Border Patrol using a Parrot Anafi USA drone. The Border Patrol's huge challenge here is that they have a lot of people out in the field. They're in very remote locations, and they have to cover a lot of ground. They have to cover a lot of hard-to-reach and hard-to-patrol locations. So think canyons, over hillsides, very brushy areas, having an asset in the air 
to help them while they're on patrol is a really, really huge advantage here. The embedded autonomy on this Anafi USA provides a number of features. The first is just push button launch on the move. So push a button, aircraft takes off. The next is a terrain relative navigation using a customer provided terrain model. The third is what we call a wingman mode. And that's where the aircraft can transit relative to a moving vehicle, hold a fixed location relative to a moving vehicle, which allows the operator to really focus on the payload and not the flying. Payload on this aircraft is excellent, great for object detection and tracking. User maintains mobility the entire time. All of the navigation is vehicle centric. So at the end of a flight, it's push button, aircraft comes back, finds its landing target and lands. The operator doesn't have to worry about becoming a pro pilot. He can focus on his job that he's trained to do, which is patrol. He's in a vehicle, he maintains mobility that whole time. And really, we think about that as allowing users to go further and do more using best-in-class drones. We love the Anafi USA. It's a nice, small, compact drone, really a good fit for ground vehicles. We do similar types of things on vessels for drones of all classes, from large fixed-wing vertical takeoff and landing systems, helicopter systems, heavy lift, multi-rotors, and kind of everything in between. So I promised I'd keep it short, but I would love questions from panelists yeah, Dave, well done, mate. One thing I was going to ask is at the minute, obviously, you've got the Enough USA there. Is there any other drones it works with currently, or is that future developments that you guys are looking at? You know, the Enafi USA is actually somewhat of a special application. Oftentimes, we deploy this autonomy engine as a module that gets integrated into a aircraft. In those situations, we typically work directly with the aircraft manufacturer. This is part of the control system itself. It's not a payload that gets added on. It's part of the control system. So we've worked with a wide number of different aircraft manufacturers. So it is available in many forms. We really like that Anafi USA platform. It was developed in the U.S. Here in the U.S., that's a really big deal these days. And it's part of the U.S. Blue UAS program. So it's certified. It has a really high-performance payload. And it has an embedded computer already available. So we run right on board that existing embedded computer. There's no added hardware. So it's just a nice, complete package. But we do work with lots of different aircraft and different manufacturers. So it's more that you guys have selected what you see as the best drone in that sector, in that world, or you've selected the ones you want to develop with that are sort of top of the class? Yeah, that's right. We like to find the best drone in each class for the specific job. We understand that there's no one-size-fits-all drone, right? If you're carrying cargo from ship to ship, it's a very different drone need than doing ISR from a small vehicle on the move. So we work with kind of the best in class in each of those groupings. Matt, Soren, you guys got any questions for David at all? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a system that we've been looking at for some time. And I mean, we, as in the UK defence sector, and obviously, Dave, you and I had a little chat beforehand, about some of the very interesting elements that are certainly engaging here. One very, very quick technical question. On opportunities for power and for charging of drones, is that currently part of the system? If so, great. If not, is this something that you're looking at for the future? Yeah, it's something that we've approached in different ways over time. As you know, drone batteries are a really big deal. If you've ever dealt with drone fleets, right, you have to maintain charge, health of the battery, 
With that border patrol system, there is actually integrated recharging into that landing pad system. Again, that's a specific system for that customer that mounts right in the back of their truck, but it does automatically mate with the NAPI USA charging and allows that aircraft to recharge. Now, that is something that is nice. It keeps you topped off trickle charge all the time when you're on your regular drive patrol, so the aircraft's always ready to fly. When you come back and land, it takes a while to recharge. So if you want to get back in the air quickly, you're going to have to do a battery swap. But if you aren't getting back in the air quickly or not right away, you've got some time, you can recharge without ever getting out of your vehicle and then have another full flight thereafter. Brilliant. I mean, that's ideal. I think looking at the way that we're seeing defense evolve into a more dynamic, fast-moving area, and you mentioned that the particular example there covered large territory. And I think that's something where we're going from a very, very small area of operations traditionally, which was limited by the effect of our sensors and our weapon systems, to having to dominate a much larger piece of turf. So I think what you've produced is really, really exciting and very, very interesting indeed. Thanks, Matt. And, you know, we're working with Sam and the copters team to take this, you know, especially with the Anafi USA platform and this added capability and deliver it to UK customers. So that's yeah. something we're just kicking off now and we're really excited about. Yeah. Us too. One more question, Dave. When you mentioned that the system is certified, what kind of certification is that? What sort of level certification? So I was speaking specifically about the US. You know, cybersecurity has been a big deal with US government agencies. Using foreign-made, especially Chinese-made drones, is an issue for U.S. government customers. So they sponsored a program through DIU, the Defense Innovation Unit, and the result of that was a class of small drones that were pre-authorized for use by U.S. government agencies. And the USA is one of those. So that's what I mean by certified. Of course, there are you know FCC-certified radios involved things like that. But yeah, I was specifically referring to the pre-authorization for use by government agents. Yeah, yeah. And that's also an issue for, when you said it was an issue for US armed forces, also for the UK MOD, not so keen on using Chinese kit if they can avoid it in most cases. So I think that's something that's kind of shared pretty widely sort of in the Western world. Soren, I had a couple of questions. The first one was, obviously, you've got a Matrice 300 there. What kind of drone systems does the Lorenz technology system work with? Is it just one drone? Have you developed it to work with loads? Is it completely agnostic? Yeah, you could say that the advantage with the system here is that it is drone agnostic. Still, the market kind of dictates also our focus right now because in order to be in business and in order to do your growth, you need to pay attention to the guys who own most of the market right now. And we cannot argue that DJI is present out there in the majority of the cases. We have integrated to the earlier M210 and to the M300 because they're flying all over. And they are also flying within police and military authorities right now. Of course, there's a lot of focus on what would be the next really big commercial drone that could compete on a price value scale here. And we are, of course, also looking very much and very interested into this because we will be able to move the AI link from one drone to another as long as it's able to carry it then we can integrate to these drones. And that is basically our strategy that we are drone agnostic, but we right now, of course, move with the place where the market is. We have integrated earlier to two other drones, a Finnish drone and a Dutch drone, but we have actually not for commercial use out there in security on on ports seen anything 
at the moment who can compete with these drones because we have to provide for 365 days flights. And in Denmark, I'm sorry to say, our weather is even worse than in Manchester. We have approximately 200 days a year with rain and wind. And we go up with these drones on the port in 12 to 15 meters a second of wind and in heavy rains because we need to go. So that is the deal right now. Yeah, yeah. So the only limiting factor then really is the weight the drone can carry. If the drone yeah. can carry that little payload, the little AI computer, then it can be integrated, basically. Correct. Cool. Yeah, Soren, I'm interested more in that embedded computer that Sam just mentioned and kind of the form factor and the adaptability to deploy additional capabilities on that, whether that be real-time payload processing. Is that something that has any third-party API, or is that something that you can customize for specific customer needs? We have customized the onboard edge computing and the use of AI, and we did a kind of -of state-of-the-art solution for the maritime business DFDS and Actually, it was portrayed on DJI.com approximately one and a half year ago, I think. And this is all about detection and then taking action according to what the drone sees. In this case, recognizing trailers on large terminals, plucking out one frame from the video, attaching GPS coordinates to it, attaching timestamp, and forwarding the picture to the, to the back-end solution where the number on the picture of the trailer was read and forwarded to the talk masters. Because the business case was if we could save them 15 minutes of loading time, they estimated approximately one ton of fuel oil savings on each of their 36,000 yearly departures. And so this was the one. And that was actually an example of edge computing and AI being integrated on board the drone. It's a really good question to ask because this is what has been outlined as the future of drone technology. As a macro idea is AI, swarming, those kind of things. And that is the way the industry is going very much. It's taking the responsibility and sort of the task off the pilot as much as possible. Both the Plank system and the REN system fit that category really well. So this is with Phil, Phil Wright from a company called Typhon. They make a distraction device, fits onto internal tactical drones, and we supply this into police and into the military. And effectively, it is a very loud bang that can disorientate and distract people when it's set off inside a building. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a quick summary of the system. So basically, as I said, the system clips onto the bottom of a drone called a Loki 2, and it fits in quite nicely with these other more automated systems we're talking about because it's not your typical drone and payload. And what the Typhon guys have done is fit five cartridges of non-lethal, non-fragmenting, minimal heat, giving off distraction, onto a system that can then be triggered at different times, either as five rounds as one big bang, individual bangs, etc. And as I said, it can either be used to pull people away to a certain location or to disorientate if triggered at the same time. And what Typhon have also done is developed or are developing additional payloads that are going to be used for urban search and rescue. So payloads that can smash windows so that people can then escape from buildings. And these are attached to drones that can be flown up to windows. And further payloads that can be used in some more interesting and slightly less publicly available areas as well. So without further ado then, Matt, if you want to run us through you guys and Bugantes, what you do, and then we'll just go for a free-for-all with questions. Great. Thanks, Sam. Hello, everybody. I've established Bugantes in 2014 off a background within brand building within the outdoor industry. In fact, 
I say a background, I was literally born into it. I was then, as my father would say, on loan to the Marines for a number of years and afterwards came back into the family business. But very quickly, we were getting requests from our old cronies to help out solve problems at a very technical level, whether that's within a mountaineering environment, clothing, all those kind of elements. And that built up over a period of time, a communication channel between us, the end users, the authority, as in the defence equipment and support agencies, NATO, and so on and so forth. And we now help with a whole heap of capabilities. Drones sort of came on the scene for us about three years ago, and specifically on the man drones, because that's what we hold sort of the expertise within. We're not big heavy armour specialists. You know, unfortunately, I had to walk everywhere with everything on my back. So sore knees and sore back are my raison d'etre. But that's what we focus on. It's all about making that individual more competent, more capable, more useful within an operational environment and to their commanders and be able to deliver stuff. Now, drones, from a military's point of view, and certainly from our point of view, are an exceptionally useful tool in order to be able to deliver that effect and increase, you know, get the multipliers on just a basic infantry, infantryman or a marine or whoever. Traditionally, the military, I think it's fair to say, are somewhat behind the power curve when it comes to things like this developing. Because fundamentally, the tech is growing so fast within the commercial space that it's actually very, very difficult for the military to be able to keep pace. I think there's also fair to say that the way that they perceive technology like this can be a little bit simplistic. For example, guys using simple drones, and as we highlighted before, things with a Far Eastern origin tend to not be as popular for a whole raft of different reasons. So they're using a Parrot and a NAFI Thermal SE, I think it was, they were using at the time. Very much they would use it as an extension of their eyeball. They were seeing this very, very much real time. You know, how do we see into places that we can't see otherwise? They were missing out on a huge plethora of opportunity, which both Dave and Soren have pointed out here, that by whether it's software or the addition of certain data devices and computing devices can deliver mapping, 3D modeling, they can deliver as Sam just said, payload effects. And payloads at some really, really very, very light, but very effective levels. So we spend a lot of time educating the end user on what's the art of the possible. And actually, we did a webinar, and it was one we did alongside copters. We work very, very much hand-in-hand with copters dealing with the military customer base. And anyway, we did a webinar covering on-demand drones. So basically, what we saw was three component parts, which were critical to making the drone capability and drone space work. So first of all was the end user. And it wasn't just one end user. It's not just Bob here in flowery clothing crawling around in the mud. Yes, there were infanteers and people at that point of view, but then you had special forces whose needs were very, very different, had special operations, which were trying to do things at extended ranges, expeditionary forces. You had engineers who were trying to do recce's on bridges on different locations. They had to do mapping in areas which may have changed quite significantly within a very short space of time. And I think anybody who comes from Aleppo would probably attest to that. You know, if you take a good old Ordnance Survey map of Syria, it probably looks significantly different now to what it would have done when they drew the map. So all those kind of areas where you've got end users who have an area where these tools can be really effective, Equally, when we looked at their tasks they were doing, there was a huge number of different tasks that were common 
throughout a military base, yet they were only really engaging with one, which was Recky, which was kind of that Mark I eyeball being projected further into the space. So one of the biggest areas that we looked at was the support to command and control. How does the use of drones enable a commander to support his guys on the ground by giving him real-time data? So being able to see that a casualty has occurred before it's been reported to them over a radio, that saves time, which, you know, not being too crude about it, saves lives and really does help keep people in the golden hour. Equally, they can see threats coming up so they can bring support to that unit. So all these different things that we looked at, what we also realised within the drone space that, again, it's not one size fits all. Quadcopters, small quadcopters like the Anafi USA are probably perfect for the vast majority of teeth arms for land forces, for Marine Smith and Private Jones on the ground and needing that immediacy. But you need to layer it within a system that integrates. So exactly the kind of drones that Soren's been using without the heavier lift drones, offering something greater at a slightly higher level, be that physically or metaphorically speaking. So those are really important from the hardware point of view. But the real opportunity for us, we saw, was relatively drone agnostic. And it was to do with the software. And I think Dave's piece of software is a perfect example of this, where actually there's some great innovation here, which is using a solid platform, an existing platform, hardware platform, and yet being able to complete different tasks much more easily with significantly lower risk to the individual. And whether we like it or not, you know, yes, our military is still trained to have an effect on the enemy. Being a Western nation, we don't tend to do that well with casualties occurring and if we want to minimize that as much as possible and actually in reality a drone is a very very cheap way of achieving that effect and mark i just want to loop back to something you said at the start and that is about them being on the man mm. drone systems why is that so important that it isn't on the man system that it is mobile quick to deploy easy to use well there's two ways of looking at it first of all there was a phrase coined by the media and i can't remember which particular newspaper it was which was the strategic corporal so you could be a 24-year-old from Manchester, we'd seen as Manchester was brought up with rubbish weather, apparently, which I can attest to. And that person could have very, very limited world experience outside of that sphere. Yet that one person could have a strategic effect on an operation, be it in Afghanistan, Iraq, or any other part of the world. So giving people at the lowest level the ability to have the effect on their space as best as possible is super important. You know, an F-35 aircraft is great, but they're very, very small numbers and they are significantly more expensive than a drone. Now, if we then go to that individual, that corporal there on the ground, he's the immediate person. He's the person engaging with the population if you're within a counterinsurgency operation. He's the person getting the face-to-face with the enemy if that is the situation there as well. So providing that person with that ability to move that drone and have that capability is a huge combat multiplier. If we make that drone too big, then there's only a limited amount of things. He's not just carrying a drone. He's got to carry a weapon. He's got to carry all his ammunition. He's got to carry communications. He's got to carry water. He's got to carry all kinds of different things. So that drone being really small or there's a balancing point. Too small, you can't do much with it. But I'll pick the NAFI USA as a perfect example here. You've got a really good, supportable item there that can deliver good effect without overburdening the soldier. 
And that is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously now we know it fits with the plank system as well. Less than half a kilo, I think, the NAFI USA is. And I think what that adds to the commander who's in charge of that corporal, first of all, he can see what that corporal can see. He can then preempt everything. And it makes it, you know, two people can have a vastly greater dramatic effect than what we used to be able to do with, say, 100. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, Soren, you guys got any questions for Matt at all? Anything you want to ask him? Yeah, actually, I do. Yeah, Matt. The work you're doing is great. It's super valuable. That kind of leading edge information, like you said, it saves lives. I'm curious how your users or customers are leveraging or interested in leveraging AI on the drones or things like augmented reality that we're starting to see emerge here from different groups. So there's a couple of things there. And I think it was brought up with the AI beforehand, which was reducing the burden on the operator. I think when you are in a situation where you're trying to track a number of different threat opportunities, one to the drone and you're trying to conduct a task, then AI from that point of view, which is removing the need to fly the drone, to directly pilot the drone, and therefore you're observing the effect that the drone can have, the data that's coming out, the products that are coming back, is very, very important. So on that side of it, really, really good. So there's also a real big push now within the training space to use synthetic environments to merge synthetic, both the real and the artificial. So, for example, you could have a shoot house. So a team, and this could be a police team as well as a military team. There's no difference here. Yet in a completely different location, you could have a drone pilot who is therefore rehearsing that mission, going through it and building a picture of what they will see within that space. So augmented reality is being used dramatically within that. Equally, if I'm an engineer officer and I'm sat within a headquarters and my guys have managed to be able to do a nice, lovely 360 on a bridge that I need to understand, I can use that augmented reality to understand the weak points on that bridge if I need to remove that bridge from a tactical point of view. Equally, I can go and recce sites for potential locations without me having to put anybody on the ground. Traditionally, we would go and do a map recce. So essentially, you're sat with a piece of paper and go, mm, we think that looks great. The next step is to put somebody specifically on that piece of turf. And that comes with certain logistical problems and inherent risks. If you're putting a device in there, which can take the images and then you bring it back, you stitch it together in the nice warmth of your headquarters tent, then actually it allows you to support that decision making, make better decisions. I think linking back there to the AI side, that reducing the burden on the pilot, Soren, feel free to jump in here, but that's exactly what Lorenz, if you wanted to sum it up in a sense as to what it does, it reduces the need for manpower and it reduces the burden on the drone teams on the ground, doesn't it? That's exactly the use case. As we see it from here also, of course, it reduces the demands on the pilot, but basically what we aim to do is we aim to provide the users or the clients with the most relevant data. So that is actually the whole issue and the whole point. So getting the data, getting the AI in, and getting the most relevant data out into the end users. So that is basically the functionality of the AI. And then sharing that data from there to the relevant people, I guess. Because one thing yes. when I saw, when we did our trials with the Lorenz system, was how easy it was. I was astonished at how easy it was to just copy a link and send it by email anywhere in the world. So if there's an incident that someone back in whatever country needs to see. If, for example, there's an incident you want to share with the police immediately, if you're UK-based, you can send that via email. They can immediately click and see what your drone can see. 
and from what I've seen for the past five years, there's never been anything, certainly within that cost, that's not a crazy amount of money, that's done that anywhere near as easily. I don't think you mentioned that in your intro bit, so it might be worth, maybe if you could give us a bit more on how that works and why that's such an important feature. What you mentioned here is the sharing function. So basically, it's all about providing the real-time streaming and with such a low latency, and this is below half a second. First of all, because amongst authorities, they need the instant view, they need it with low latency. But you also need that in a system-wise space, because if you want to do remote control based on a system, you need the low latency. Otherwise, you'll end up in the bushes within no time. So what we do here is that we have the standard feed for the guys who have the license and who are users of the system. They'll get the low latency feed right into the operator, to the command central. And if something goes on out there that kind of makes them insecure, they need backup, they can push the share link function, put in the email, click how many minutes they would like to share this with the external users. It could be 20 minutes, and then just send it away. So the user and the other who enters via this link, they'll be able to see exactly where the drone is on location, and they'll get the live feed right on their screen with low latency. And we tested that in order to make sure. So we flew the drone here in Denmark, Odin, so we tested it from Command Central in Dubai. We tested it from Essen in Germany, from London in the UK. And we maintained the low latency below half a second on the stream when we did so. And I think what you're mentioning here is actually the core of it. You need to make things easy, especially now where this new technology enters different segments in the market. So we have these solutions where you go for the low-hanging fruit, you deliver exactly what they need. You deliver it with drones. You can have a spare drone in within a few hours because they cannot wait for a drone to come in three days or four months. And besides that, next to it, you do your heavy development projects. You do your offset projects with a longer range where you really develop and push your technology. But you need to be in market and be out there in real life on a daily day basis in order to know what the customers want and how this technology can be implemented. Yeah, agree. That's a brilliant answer. And I guess when you're talking there about the future, the developments after the initial step in, that's where you move into the more complex AI side, isn't it? That's kind of where that goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Matt, we've got a question here. What options may the operator of a drone in a recce role have regarding stealth concealment? I'm assuming there's a size issue. Isn't there always? Smaller the better. And also minimizing emissions, RF and audio visual signature. So I thought this is very relevant to what we're talking here. And just what Soren's been talking about there about getting that granularity with the end user and helping them understand precisely what they want to do is very relevant. So depending upon the size of the drone is important and the power output, but you're looking at the sound that's kicking out on the motors with that. If we take most drones that are around the 250 to 500 gram mark, then on the whole, once you have a bit of standoff, and you don't have to go very, very far, you know, we're talking 100 meters, and they become very difficult to see visually. Obviously, silhouette are going to be one of the big things that are going to really have a telltale drone. The other thing that we found that's really, really interesting was the pitch of the motor. So take the Anafi Thermal SE and the Anafi USA. They actually generate the same decibels of sound, but the Anafi USA is at a different pitch. It's much, much more difficult to hear from a human point of view. So therefore, the standoff that you require is less. Equally, the other way to think about it is the sensor. How do you get what you want? So again, I'll use those two drones. 
the thermal has what I think it's a 11 time zoom, and yet the USA is a 32 time zoom. So it allows you to achieve what you need to do without getting as close. And I think we're used to, from a military point of view, you're doing a close target wrecking. You're on your hands and knees, and in fact, on your belly, snuggling up to what you want to look at. And that's what we see the behavior pattern. A lot of the guys in the military using the drones, they try and think of it the same way, going, well, if I put it, hypothetically speaking, a kilometer up in the air, will they be able to see the drone or hear the drone? No. Can I see them? Yes. So that's on positioning. We have seen some military units try to use the ground to conceal drones. That would work. I think there's probably easier ways to achieve the same effect, if I'm honest. Use the drones to its strengths. On the final thing to do with RF and audio and visual signature, this brings up a really, really interesting point. And it's to do with controlling drones with an operational context compared to a civilian context. So most of the drones, or the vast majority of the drones, are using a Wi-Fi-enabled controlling element. Now, if you go to the US program that Dave has mentioned a few times, actually one of the components of that was not to use Wi-Fi. So it was from a GPS-denied environment, and therefore it used the existing radio network that the US military used. Now, all the different militaries have a different way, and different frequencies within different countries are attributed to different elements. So one of the ways that we're working to the future is engaging with the end users. Like, for example, we've got a big demonstration at the end of May, and they're wanting to move into the direction of mesh networks, so controlled networks within themselves, so that those signals coming out, those emissions, are contained within their own, own entity. The other thing, key thing here is to do with encryption on the drones. So I think, correct me wrong, Sam, I think the DAFI USA, what, 256-bit encryption? USA's AES-512, which is outrageously high. Anything yeah. up to 256 is kind of the industry standard. Kind of anything more than that is is just just ridiculous. But is the signal encrypted Soren on the Lorenz system? I mean, I know that it is on the M300, so I imagine it's the same. The whole thing here is that everything goes directly from the AI link and into the cloud. And this is encrypted according to military standard. It has full documentation for this because, of course, this was asked for by the defense and by the police who already ordered the system. And to your comments, Matt, I fully agree with you on, you would say, the footprint and the stealth part, because I think there'll be room for both kind of drones. Of course, we're looking into what comes up in the smaller category. That goes without saying. But what we already can do now with these kinds of drones on a distance of 1,500 meters I can almost recognize the workers going on the construction site here over one kilometer away with standard equipment payload at the moment. And let's just be honest, you will not have a clue that the drone is hanging out here. And I can see the letters on his vest that he's carrying from over here. So you can go in from several ways. But of course, stealth is very important. We have developed a special function where actually the AI link listens in on the remote. So it's not flown from the remote. It listens in. So you fly not angle-based like you do with the drone. You actually fly by vectors. This makes you able to program the way of flying so that you're not able to do these sudden acceleration, which often gives away the drone's identity because that's what makes the noise when you suddenly accelerate. But even though you push your stick on your remote, it'll slowly accelerate without making too much noise. So there's also a potential in these ways of flying through an AI link like we have here. Brilliant. I think that links in really well with what Matt summarised there on the impact. 
I'm aware that we're coming towards the end. So what I want to do, just to kind of sum up, is pose a couple of questions to you, Dave, and to you, Soren, to wrap up. The main one for me, I think, that would tie this together quite nicely, and we'll start with you, Dave, is what kind of organisations should now get in touch with you or with Copters to look at purchasing a system, a planning system? What are the organisations that you want to come to us and request information? Yeah, that's a great question, Sam. We think that the largest impact are operators who are on vehicles or on boats. So if you can imagine groups that their day-to-day job is on a patrol boat and they need to have a drone that can go do some reconnaissance, those are the people that we want to reach out and work with directly. So certain areas of the military, but also search and rescue teams? Definitely security patrols, you know, anybody who needs data real time, right away, and is operating in a very dynamic environment. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sorry, same to you guys. What kind of organization should now get in touch and request more info on the Lorenz systems? Well, our main segments are, as I mentioned, security and ports. So I would say ports were looking into further digital ways of doing their work. And security companies, including police, for security companies who want to stand out from competition, being able to document that they actually do their work and be able to do added services. And police forces as well, because we know that they have a lot of DJI drones around, and the AI link will prove valuable to them. It will make the value of their investment even larger. And it could also prove the most worthy thing during a transition phase where they work with these kind of drones. Maybe they're on the look for something else, but if they have flown them with the AI link and the system, their pilots will be totally familiar with this way of flying and this system when new drones arrive, who will be able to integrate with the AI link. So security companies, police on one side, ports who want to go into further digitalization on the other side. That's for sure. Perfect. And Matt, then, to sum up with you, I'm going to give you the impossible task of answering this question in a minute or less. What does the future hold for drones in defense? That's the million-dollar question. So in my little crystal ball, looking at it, first of all, it's exceptionally fast-moving. And I think it's something that traditional defence cannot maintain. Traditional procurement channels are not able to keep up to date with the innovations that we're seeing all across the world. So it's going to change fast. I think seeing these as tools to be able to increase situational awareness, do a myriad of different effects, our understanding is only going to increase. So it is a huge, huge opportunity for defence. And for those that embrace it, they're going to get a massive, massive benefit. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that was as much as we can expect. As you said, crystal ball in it. I think you've done a pretty good effort there. Well, look, guys, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks very much for your time. And we'll see you for the next one. Thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, gents. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Drone World. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so get in contact with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our handle is at Copters. If you like the episode, then make sure to rate and review and subscribe so you know when our next episode goes live. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.